0: This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting.
1: Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, offering education, health care, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu forward.
0: Welcome to the Legislature Today, I'm Randy Yowie. After another day of the legislative session, teachers may be able to teach intelligent design in public schools if a Senate Education Bill becomes law. Emily Rice has that story.
2: The Senate Education Committee heard Tuesday from two high schoolers in favor of Senate Bill 280, which would allow teachers in public schools to teach intelligent design. Hayden Hodge is a junior at Hurricane High School. He testified before senators, arguing that intelligent design is an evidence-based theory about life's origins. So what is intelligent design? Well, to start, it is not a religious argument. I am not advocating for biblical creationism or Adam and Eve or the Muslim and Jewish narrative. This is not a biblical argument. Hodge also said he is not asking for the teaching of intelligent design to be mandatory, but an option. I'm not asking for this to be required. I'm asking for it to be permissible. Why not allow teachers to offer students multiple views? Students deserve to hear a multitude of theories and then follow which is more reasonable — life from blind natural processes or life from a designer. Hodge testified that his science teacher told him recently that he wished he could discuss intelligent design in the classroom. Senator David Stover, a Republican from Wyoming County, said that as a previous teacher himself, it disturbed him that teachers felt they couldn't have discussions with their students.
3: Are you telling me that your teacher is honestly afraid of repercussions? If one of you simply said, is it possible?
2: The second student to testify before lawmakers, Hunter Bernard, another junior from Hurricane High School, answered Senator Stover's question. Yes, sir. I asked my microbiology teacher where the first cell came from, and he could tell that I was probing in that direction, and he was clear that we can't talk about that option of a designer. Senator Charles Trump, a Republican from Morgan County, addressed to the committee. He said his concerns about last year's version of the bill had been resolved by the committee substitute.
3: As the chair may remember, I had some heartburn last year over the similar bill that we considered and ended up deciding that I would have to vote against it. Uh, This committee substitute has addressed the concerns I had last year, and I'm happy to say that uh, I am and was just now able to uh, support.
2: All committee members voted in favor of reporting the committee substitute for Senate Bill 280 to the full Senate floor with the recommendation that it do pass. For the Legislature Today, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston.
0: Two resolutions were once again introduced in the House today. The first would directly affect our state-elected constitutional officers. The other gives powers usually reserved for the legislature to the people. House Joint Resolution 15 would amend the state constitution to prevent any person from serving in the office of Secretary of State, State Auditor, Commissioner of Agriculture, Attorney General, or State Treasurer for more than three consecutive terms beginning after January 1, 2025. Currently, there is no term limit on these offices. The resolution sponsor, Delegate Jeff Foster, a Republican from Putnam County, says with our changing political and social landscape, this is a proposal that's time has come. I think it's smart to get new blood in there, somebody that can take a new look at it. I know back when it was originally introduced, I mean, we'd had constitutional offices have been there 20 years or more. House Joint Resolution 14 would amend the state constitution to give the people the powers of initiative, referendum, and recall. Delegate Chuck Horst, Republican from Berkeley County, is sponsoring the returning resolution. He says, as with term limits, this resolution's time has come to increase the political decision-making strength of the people of West Virginia.
3: And it is to uh, allow the people to a bit more power. They, they can recall an elected official if uh, the elected official is not acting appropriately uh, for, for what the people expected, and uh, would give them the power that by referendum they, they could... Uh, uh, collect enough signatures, and get a particular issue put on the ballot for the people to, d- to decide if the legislature doesn't seem to want to address it.
0: An example of a people's initiative would be the legalization of the recreational use of cannabis. Now, this is something the Democrats on both the House and Senate side are pushing hard for this year. Senate President Craig Blair has come out and said, maybe this is something This time has come in the next year or two or three. Speaker of the House Roger Hanshaw says, very unlikely. Therefore, an initiative would work.
3: I don't expect that would go through the legislature right now in the current climate uh, and, and there's probably some areas of the state that there's quite a few people that would want to see that. Uh, if there was enough people they could collect the signatures and they could get uh, an issue like that put on the ballot for the people to uh, decide it instead of the legislature doing it.
0: Both resolutions now head to the House Judiciary Committee where there would be an option to draft a bill. Earlier today, Eric Douglas sat down with Senate President Craig Blair to discuss his goals for the 2024 legislative agenda. Here's that discussion.
3: Welcome to the uh, to our studio at the Capitol. Where I'm here with Senate President Craig Blair. Um, I want to state for the record, I appreciate him taking the time to, to join us on the set today. Thank it's, you, sir. It's a pleasure. Uh, uh, I know you. I know you're busy. I know there's a lot going on today. So we'll just jump right into it if that's all right with you. Sure. Uh, so. What are your expectations for the session? We're, what, five, six days in officially now. What are your
1: expectations looking forward? The expectations are to keep the momentum going in the state of West Virginia. In my lifetime, I don't believe that we've ever experienced better economic opportunities, better growth, better opportunities for change in the state of West Virginia to be able to propel us into the future. And uh, I'm proud of the work that we've done over the last eight years or ten years, whatever it may be, and it's growing. Uh, And that's exciting, Uh, investing into the infrastructure, uh, investing in education, getting a drug-free, educated workforce that's ready to go to work, stay in West Virginia. Virginia, and uh, people laugh at me when I say this, but if you keep our youth here, what happens is they have children, they have families. That's how you grow a state, that's how you grow an economic base that you can actually have further tax reductions and keep the momentum moving forward.
3: I'm old enough to remember we used to refer to the uh, I-77 south headed to Charlotte is kind of the it was the hillbilly highway as we talked about. Everybody was growing up and leaving the state. What what can we do to to keep
1: people in the state? It was our number one export, for that matter. Uh, is our youth for gainful employment. Look, I'm from the Eastern Panhandle, and everybody thinks that we're wealthy over there, and know uh, what it is is that there's a lot of people that's wanting to get out of the state of Maryland to get out of Washington D.C. and those markets and uh, West Virginia is very, very attractive for that because our people are great, and the people moving there are great, but you got to be able to have the jobs. When I was growing up, there was GM, 3M, DuPont, Corning, the list went on, and they all left. Why? Because they were taxed out of the state. Then we turned into a bedroom community. You cannot have a tax base to be able to do that. And we were like a barometer for the rest of the state. We were hemorrhaging jobs out of the state. And when you lose the jobs and the upward mobility and the economic opportunities, people leave. Uh, The two most mobile things in our society is labor and capital. And we're attracting both now to the state of West Virginia. And that's how you keep your our youth here. You don't have to worry about school closings or, or riffing teachers or consolidations. What you worry about is, is the fact that you got more young people in the system and those children coming through, and you got a tax base. You're able to pay the teachers more and the state employees more, school service personnel more, and we've been doing that. Uh, over the last eight to ten years, well, I'm proud of what we've sure. done.
3: Last year, you passed a pretty, pretty amazing tax cut for the for the state. I mean, amazing in the, in the scale of it, I guess is what I want to say. Um, what 780 million dollars, I think, was roughly. Has that worked out as you expected? I mean, I know it's only been a year, but has it as it, are you
1: seeing the fruition of that? Yes, it'll work out. Uh, I'm not concerned by that, and by the way, I was the author of the Flatline Budget, where four years, it was me and the name Eric. Uh, Eric Nelson was the finance chairman for the House side, then Eric Householder, and then I've got Eric, or had Eric Householder, and Eric Tarr. Uh, But by controlling our spending, and this is exactly what the federal government should do, they should actually control the spend and let the revenues grow. And when we did that, that afforded us the opportunity to be able to go in and do the tax reductions. I said that we'd have six, seven, eight hundred million dollars. We did. Actually we had 1.8 million dollars. Problem with that is, is that we were using severance tax. The severance tax made up almost a billion of those excess revenues. They're down this year. Right. The production is up, both coal and gas. But the prices are down. The most beautiful part about what we got going on right now is we're really not budgeting the severance tax. I can remember when I was first elected in 2003, where we were underwater. We were cutting in the middle of the year, and they were hoping somebody would win the record Powerball, and they did. But that's no way to run. That's no way to run a, run a state, run man. a government, run a state. We have changed those all those dynamics, and then you can see the people's wages are up, the job opportunities. In October, and that's the latest numbers that I have, there was 6,198 people that was drawing an unemployment check. That's a big deal. Out of 1.8 million people, and you've only got 6,198. 6,200, we'll, we'll yeah. use round numbers, yeah. Uh, d- d- I get caught up in trying to have precision numbers. Yeah, no, understand. And there's a reason for that. You can't make good decisions on bad information. And that's another thing that I am have been about, is making sure that we got the right data, the right information, and then be conservative on the decisions that you make. The last thing we want to do is go back and look at our taxpayers and say that we need to increase the tax because we did not calculate right. We pretty well got it right. Our pensions, are 100% funded, except for um, TERS, and that one is 80% or close to it. And as far as I'm concerned, that is fully funded. Our rainy day fund, 1.2 billion, and if you take the PIT, the Personal Income Tax Reserve Fund, that's another 400 million. We're one of the best in the nation when it comes to that. So we're getting a lot of these things right, along with giving the pay raises and all.
3: We're hearing now, though, there's a lot of, a lot of still demands in the state. A, a couple hundred million expected for or needed for uh, corrections, for example. At least that was an estimate of, of numbers for it. I don't know if that's the actual number or not, but is all right, all right, you say it's lower. Do we have the capital to pay for those things, though?
1: yes and uh, but the thing is is that we went away from the mindset just because somebody comes in and says we need a hundred million dollars or we need thirty million dollars it affords us the opportunity to go in and look for efficiencies corrections is a prime example of that where they had a shortage of the the um, co1s twos and threes right and the reason for it was is the only way that they could get a pay raise is to advance in that ranking. Well my wife is a CO worker uh, for the state of Maryland and they have steps that go out and so she never wants to be in administration, and it makes it so that you're not top-heavy. And so she can be a CO3 and stay there, class one, two, three, four, and that's something that we put in place. So that wasn't a matter of throwing more money at it, it was a matter of managing the people that you've got in the system, because not everybody's made for administration by any means. And lots of people like to be hands-on working with the clients or the customers, however you want to look at that. So we look at all these opportunities when people come in and say, we need money for this, we need money for that, that we need to take a much deeper dive in and say, how can we do more, do better for less, and the resources. Now. The real trick to that is, is that there are times that you need to put money into it and you've got it in your back pocket, so to speak. We will have it in reserve that where we can go in and do the capital impre- improvements, deferred maintenances, where we can invest in ourselves. We are managing the state that way right. right now and that pays dividends so that we can do further di- tax reductions in the future, greater savings, and then investments in ourselves. Speaking of investments
3: in ourselves, um, you, uh, you've, you've spoken several, a couple times recently about public education. Now, in the last few years, there have been a lot of debate about homeschooling and the Hope Scholarship and all of that, but you, you were talking just recently about the need to invest in our public schools, too. Right? I think one of the lines you used at the legislative look-ahead was that you wanted uh, our kids to get the same quality of education as Donald Trump's kids when, when they were in school. You want you want that elite
1: level of education at the public school level. So how can how can we do that? How can we get to that level? First of all, we put our public school systems in a competitive environment with the alternative educations. You, competition's everything. No matter what it is, whether it's in business, whether it's in education, it makes no difference. Or on the sports field. And uh, so we've done all we can for charter schools, home schools, micro schools, uh, Hope Scholarship, you name it. We put that in place and we've got to be able to monitor and make sure that that's going to be successful. But now we need to take and turn our eye to a deep dive on the public education, making it so that we want to make our teachers so they got the money and the resources, but we want to make it so they can do their job in the classroom. Most teachers want to do that, but we've got disruptive students in the classroom. We've got students that aren't showing up but for the absenteeism rate is high. The absenteeism rate in some areas is high for the teachers too and I think everybody watching this show can remember when a substitute teacher come into the classroom and it was a free-for-all of we've got to be able to change that dynamic where we keep that teacher in in that classroom then those disruptive students you remove them from the classroom. Again I was threatened with town a couple times whenever I was younger and I have to be honest with yeah, most people don't remember what Town was, so I must be a dinosaur when it comes you, to You it.
3: have to be of a certain age in the state to remember right. that.
1: but it worked, and what we can do is do it in a modern technology now, and if you've got a disrupted student, you take that student out of that classroom, so that teacher's not teaching to the close, lowest common denominator. And then you move that student into where they can get help, where you can have cameras monitoring the behaviors, whatever it may be on that, so that you get an outcome, a better outcome for the disruptive student. But the students that are left behind in the classroom with the teacher will get back to doing what they should be doing. And that is learning, preparing to be in the workforce so that we've got an educated, drug-free workforce in the state of West Virginia. Which
3: is where I'm going next, but I, I want to ask, I, I mean, that sounds pretty expensive, to me, having places to pull students out of class and the, the cameras and the teachers to cover them. Are we no, no, are we no, prepared no. to spend the money do, for do,
1: that? Do, do, I, I believe that there's very little expense to do that. You know what's expensive? Leaving that student in the classroom and making it so that you're getting poor outcomes for the education that you wouldn't have had otherwise. That's expensive. Okay, so do, do, right. investing in ourselves on, on this and I'm certain that you're in a lot of schools that there are classrooms, there's way to be able to manage this issue.
3: And even I guess in some counties you would have abandoned schools that could be,
1: if you needed to pull them out completely, or. Yeah, and you to, I'm not an expert when it comes All to right. that, but I am pretty good at understanding the human behavior. And what we're doing is not working. And doing the same thing, expecting different results is the definition of insanity. And we're, we're away from that. We're, we are wanting to be creative. We want to listen to the teachers and the administrators and, and see what they've got to say. We are doing that right now. And for the first time in over 60 years, you've got a public educator, somebody that's in the classroom that is Education chair in the state of West Virginia in the state Senate.
3: So you you alluded to it a moment ago, but the 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 drug fee free uh, workforce I know you you've had a number of successes over the last year or two with big companies coming here And and I I have to admit the first time or every time I see one of those announcements My first question is do we have the human beings to fill those jobs? Do we have people who could take those positions? How do we uh, And you just said there was only 6,200, 6,198 people on. On uh, unemployment do we have the more bodies to fill those jobs?
1: Well we do for some of the jobs but not all and that means that these businesses will attract people from our surrounding states or somewhere and, and they'll come and move into the state of West Virginia and become part of our population and there is absolutely nothing wrong with that when you've got a fl- the population is less than what it was in 1950 mm-hmm. in this state remember I said the two most mobile things are capital and labor. There is not a better place in this country to work, live, raise a family and play than the state of West Virginia. Our people are the best. You get a flat tire alongside the road, and somebody will stop and help you uh, get back onto the road get where you're going. That doesn't happen in any other state in the Union. You know what? I travel this country a good bit, and the people of West Virginia, and they need to hear this, is that people outside this state think better of us than what we think of ourselves internally. That dynamic will change when you bring in the new cores, the Procter & Gamble's of LG and then you give again these families the opportunity for upward mobility. Their incomes are growing, in the, but it, it's it's a generational thing. But it will work a long term for the people of West Virginia. It will pay the dividends, and they're seeing it now. Yeah,
3: I, I guess the, the point is it's not there's no there's no quick fix overnight. That this was a, a long term uh,
1: project for you you betcha and you got to stay the course you got to be able to manage your budget so that you're able to invest in yourself and, and, and in your people and that's exactly what we're doing whenever we had the excess revenue of 1.8 million about a third of it went into capital improvements deferred uh, maintenance and stuff like that about a third of it and I'm rounding numbers and sure. about a third of it went into savings uh, so that we become very attractive to business on both those counts. Then the other third you put back, you put back in the people's hands. Ultimately, the people and the businesses that are currently in this state, you want them to prosper because when they prosper, they feel better about themselves. They, they, They are more prosperous and that is very attractive, magnetic for that matter, to being able to attract others into this state and other businesses into this state.
3: You've talked uh, several times uh, about the opioid crisis and and how do we deal with that? Uh, You know, uh, both, I I wanted your thoughts on both how do we deal with the drugs coming into the state, but also how do we care for West Virginians who are struggling with addiction to get them back into the workforce, to make them productive members
1: of society again? Well first of all you look at what's working, Uh, first of all you got to be able to stop the flow of people wanting to use these drugs. Best form of welfare is good paying job and upward mobility. I've, I sound like a broken record, I know, but the, but it truly is uh, part of the recipe to be able to make this work. Uh, the next thing is, is you got to make it so onerous uh, on the drug dealers and, and all that they don't want to be here. Uh, they gravitate to the uh, weakest spots where there's the less, less recourse against them. I am proposing uh, this year of uh, capital punishment for the illicit manufacture of fentanyl and the wholesale distribution of it. Do I think anybody will ever be put to death because of it? No. Do I think it'll make people stay the hell out of our state? Yes. Uh, and I'm talking about drug dealers uh, from that. But it sends a message to corporate America too that we're in the business uh, wanting to make sure that we've got employees that are educated, drug-free, ready (laughs) to go to work. Uh, And so we're looking at the all-above approach. But you know, I'm quite certain everybody's watched 60 Minutes the other night uh, where they helped a guy that he was on his last leg and by using ultrasound targeted on the brain that they were able to Control his addiction. Interesting. For four no, I didn't years. see that. I didn't it's a big deal. I just about cried whenever I watched this show. This is happening at WVU Medicine in the state of West Virginia. We're on the national stage once again. West Virginia at the forefront. You hear my passion and excitement. <laughs> this is a great state, and we, the best is yet to come uh, because we are attracting the best and the brightest when they move here.
3: The uh, last question, they're telling me we're, we're running short on time. You you are very passionate about this. I, I, um, just yesterday on the, the Senate floor, you put forth a resolution to uh, talk about uh, the better management or the better regulation of of all of the above energy sources, mm-hmm. streamlined it at the federal level. I know a lot of the, the companies that, the, the, the Googles of the world, that sort of thing, They when they want to come here, they're interested in a mixture of of energy sources, uh, whether it's natural gas, whether it's solar, whether it's wind, uh, what's your, what are your thoughts on, on on that all of
1: the above energy uh, for the state? First of all, I love coal and natural gas. Uh, coal behaves like a battery, and that provides national security and energy independence. Uh, but we've got to be in an all of the above energy state. Um, the new is the Procter and Gamble's, big companies, want to have a green footprint and we can't tell Of corporate America or the world uh, that we are going to ignore that aspect of it so we must be all the above to be able to track them in but you know what's more important to them than being a carbon neutral footprint it is making sure that they can keep their profits up by having no blackouts or brownouts we have the ability to do all that we've got a long legacy in this state of being an energy state we want to continue to be an energy state and uh, uh, Pleasant's power plant. This is one of the most exciting things. That coal fired plant was shut down. It's back up. It's burning coal. And then in the next 18 months, it's actually going to be stripping the hydrogen off the coal. We're going to have graphite, for batteries. There's a shortage of that worldwide. And we're going to use the hydrogen to make electricity. So we are ahead of the curve again in the state of West Virginia. And we'll be mining one and a half times Amount of coals what we were before, and being able to kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> Doesn't get any better than this. Right. Uh, it, it's it's so exciting uh, at this point in time for the state of West Virginia. I'm, All right. I wish I could be a little <laughs> less enthusiastic.
3: All right. Thank you, sir. Uh, I think we've. I think actually they've just told me that I think we ran overtime. So I appreciate um, your uh, your your time and and. Uh, Enjoyed speaking with you today. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you for spending this time with us. Join us
0: next time and every Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on The Legislature Today. I'm Randy Yowie. For everyone here at West Virginia Public Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. Have a great evening.
1: Support for The Legislature Today is provided by... West Virginia University, offering education, healthcare, and the opportunity to achieve career success since 1867. Information at go.wvu.edu slash forward.